to our online crowd, I want to let you know we're going to have to shut down about halfway through the service today. We have a friend from East Africa here today, and for security reasons, his name and country cannot be broadcast. Um, and so just want to let you know you're going to lose us halfway through, but we'll get to start a little bit together. Okay, announcements. First of all, this Friday at 530 is our Beyond Campaign Dinner. Beyond Campaign is our, is our goal to expand our school and youth and children's ministry a capacity here to the north of the building. So this Friday night we're going to have a dinner at which we're going to, Saturday. Sa sorry, Saturday, details. <laughs> this Saturday, read the screen, don't listen to the guy with the microphone. So um, we're going to hear Andrew and Casey, they've not talked much yet about how this expansion is going to benefit their ministry, so they're going to talk about that. We're going to hear some compelling numbers, compelling to me, uh, for why we're asking the church to be part of this big project. We're going to hear stories of lives that have been dramatically impacted by the ministry of the church and school and the partnership that we have. So even if you're thinking, I don't think I want to give to that. I don't have kids in school. We want you to come to the dinner anyway and celebrate what God has done, is doing, and we believe will do at Clear Creek. So uh, you can scan the QR code. There are paper sign-up sheets. You can go to the church website. Lots of ways to sign up. And we want you to be part of that dinner this Saturday at 5.30. Also on November 18th, so two weeks on Friday, uh, we're having a women's ministry night. If you've watched any of the Chosen TV series, it's on the app. You can watch some of it on some of the streaming platforms, Amazon Prime and things. Season three is being released soon, and the first two episodes are going to be in the theater um, so it's just a chance for the church community to come together and, and see the start of this season. You don't have to have watched seasons one and two, but you have two weeks to catch up if you like to binge. The reason I'm telling you this, there are 30 tickets, 30 seats on the bus. So if you would like to join for the dinner but not ride the bus, if you'd like to join for the dinner but not go to the movie, whatever. But if you're going to get a ticket, uh, the dinner is here, by the way. If you're going to get a ticket, if you're going to ride the bus, you do need to sign up, and then you need to sign up just for the dinner so they know they have enough food for you on the 18th. In two weeks, we're collecting our harvest offering. Uh, portions of that will go to Wheeler Mission, portions to our friends from El Salvador who, who were here last week, portion to our friend from East Africa who's here today. We'll talk more about that later, but just want to make sure you remember that. Uh, we're having a blood drive on campus on November 15th, so that's next week. If you would like to give blood, um, the need is critical, and so please mark your calendar if you're able to do that during the day. And then looking way ahead, Christmas is on a Sunday this year, and we, we're going to try something different. After the last time Christmas was on a Sunday, we said, you know, we probably ought to adjust that. So we're going to have two services on Saturday, Christmas Eve at 2 o'clock, and 4 o'clock, and then nothing on Sunday. We want that to be a family day for you all. So 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock on Saturday, the 24th. We want to make sure everybody knows that. We don't want you to show up on Christmas morning. And it's like coal in a stocking, right? Oh, I wanted to. Anyway, that's going on. All right, we are in a series on stewardship. This is week two. And if you're visiting with us today, we're really glad you're here. And please don't panic because you came on a stewardship Sunday because we're defining stewardship as more than just money. It's about learning to live with the recognition that everything I have doesn't belong to me. None of what I have is mine. It belongs to somebody else. And I'm just a manager tasked with maximizing its impact. God has given us 
gifts and talents and abilities and time and relationships and opportunities. He's given those to us, not to say it's mine, but to say, okay, God, what can I do with this to great effect? When you read the parables of Jesus, he visited this idea time after time after time, and you get the sense, it's not even a sense, he was pretty clear, I'll be judged according to how, how well, how faithfully I managed what he gave me. So in stewardship, where typically we talk about money, or you expect us to talk about money, and we will in a couple weeks, and again, time and talent and opportunities and relationships. Last week we talked about being stewards of the good news, of the message we have that brings hope to people. And we don't ever want to be selfish. We don't ever want to be stingy with that. And on, on the whole, when I talk about stewardship in that context, I think we can all get on board. We can all agree with that idea. But I also know, at least maybe I'm projecting myself onto you, but I bet each one of us has some things that are harder to give up control, to surrender ownership of than others. Like, God, I give you my whole life. That's what Ty has said in front of us today. It's all yours. Please keep your hands off my kids. Don't ask me to give them to you. God, everything I have is yours, but my job, no, I can handle that myself. I don't want you there because I might have to do some things you might not approve. God, you can have access to everything, but not my money. I worked hard to earn that. Or how's this, God, everything I have is yours, but stay out of my religion, would you? I've decided how it's going to work. I think maybe this is a particular challenge for Americans because we've been ingrained to pursue and protect what I call the three American idols, which are comfort, security, and respect. I want my comfort. I want to feel secure. I'd like to be respected or recognized. So God, you can have everything, but don't ask me to give up those. Those contrast to a biblical ideal that says, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, you don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. Now, Clear Creek folks know I'm the king of context. And so that scripture actually was in, the, in a discussion about temple prostitutes. I, hope, I don't think that's relevant to us today. But basically the people there at the church in Corinth were saying, look, I'm honoring God with my emotions, with my intellect, with my will, but my body is mine. That's what the culture said. Infidelity is bad because there's an emotional connection. But to go to the temple and unite physically with a prostitute, that's just your body. And the church had bought into that way of thinking so Paul wrote, and he said, you know, people in your, in your culture say, well, everything's permissible for me. And he says, maybe it is, but not everything's beneficial. Everything's permissible, but not everything is good. It illustrated a larger problem where they, people were finding justification to do whatever they wanted in so many areas of their lives. You read the book of 1 Corinthians, they were a mess. God, you can have all of me except our right to be offended accept my right to eat what I want, accept my right to sleep with who I want. So Paul wrote to say, don't you realize you're a, you're a slave to your own appetites? And Jesus doesn't say, I bought you with a price so he can control us, but to set us free. He says, you don't have to pursue unattainable idols any longer. That's why Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. You lose your life for my sake. 
That's the path to real life. So we're not called to be stewards of parts of our lives. We're called to be stewards of all of us. It all belongs to God. Every breath is a gift to be breathed out for his glory. Now, quickly, before our friend comes, I'm going to illustrate biblically what it's like to be a life steward on a, in a good way and in a bad way. And it's, it's two characters in the Bible with the same names whose life took opposite trajectories. It's the tale of two Saul's. So the first one is an Old Testament Saul. And his story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 9. The, the people of Israel wanted a king. And so God said, okay, I'll give you a king. And so it describes this man who God chose as king. 1 Samuel 9, starting in verse 1. There was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the son of Abel, son of Zeror, son of Bechorath, son of Aphias, son of, of the tribe of Benjamin. His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land, which just goes to prove God likes tall people. <laughs> so we see that Saul had some natural gifts. He was from a wealthy family, a connected family. He was handsome. He was tall. He was a natural leader. And you go ahead and throw that next slide up there to see that. There you go. Well, Saul also was a humble man. When Samuel told him, God has chosen you to be king, Saul replied, but, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. My family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? He was a humble man. But then Samuel replied, the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler of it, over Israel, his special possession. So he was put in a position of leadership. God chose him for that position. But what happened? You know the old saying, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. He became addicted to the power and the prestige and the privilege of his position. And he became very much about self-preservation. You read the story of Saul, and he started to reject the things that God had called him to do because they didn't align with his own interests. And it went from self-preservation to self-promotion after he's violated one of God's commands, the one that ultimately led him to being stripped of the kingdom. Samuel, the prophet, came looking for him, and the people told him in 1 Samuel 15, 12, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. So he was gifted with so many things that he decided he would use in service of his own interests. And then really sad words for Samuel 15.10. Then the Lord said to Samuel, his prophet, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king. For he has not been loyal to me and refused to obey my command. And he lost everything. Poor steward of the gifts God gave him. Now, in the New Testament, there's a man named Saul who became the Apostle Paul. And just look at his chart. We'll just, I won't read all the scriptures all the way through for time's sake. But Paul was born with a heritage, with an education, Paul had the drive and ambition that he was put in positions of leadership, and then God chose him. No, I have a special purpose for you. And after that choosing, Paul lost 
everything. There was no preservation. He lost it all for the sake of promoting Jesus. And then he said, it's okay. Those things were nothing. I counted all a loss. Here's what he said in Philippians chapter 3. He said, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, the same tribe as the other Saul, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. So I've got the connections. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So he had the, the characteristics you look for. He was a natural leader. He was chosen by his peers. Oh, this man can get some things done. Driven and ambitious. Then Paul says this. I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. He was a steward of all that God had given him, not for his own purposes, but for the purposes God had for his life. That's the essence of life stewardship in one sentence. Nothing else is worth holding on to compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus. So if you look at Paul's life before he met Jesus, he was on the path to simply be a footnote to history. He was mentioned at the stoning of Stephen. It was mentioned that because of his persecution, the church was scattering, causing it to grow again and again and again. If Paul had not met Jesus, then he would have been known as the guy who helped the church grow because of his persecution, and then he died. Instead, because he gave everything he had to the service of Jesus, his leadership, his impact, his ministry multiplied exponentially, we know his name today. We're teaching from his words today because he surrendered ownership to Jesus. And at the core of the ability to do that, the core of any relationship, at the core of all stewardship, is trust. Trust. I'm, I don't own these things that I have, but I trust that the owner is good. He isn't using me. He's inviting me into a life bigger and better than my own pursuits could ever. 